Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, November 3rd. We begin with Financial Literacy Month, which is recognized in November. We speak with Bruce Celery, the CEO of Credit Canada, who shares with us his unique program called Money Management Magic. Next, it's another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. And as always, Dr. Janney answers all the questions sent in by you, the listeners. Then it's a first of a kind in Western Canada. We speak with Sheila Taylor, CEO of the Calgary Parks Foundation for details on the new Flyover Park located just under Calgary's 4th Avenue Flyover. And finally, you've all heard about the 40 under 40 list, but do you know about Calgary's 7 over 70? We hear about the interesting program that celebrates the remarkable success of many individuals in the city 70 years old or older. November is Financial Literacy Month, and as such, we thought we'd kick things off with an interesting concept called Money Management Magic. The magician behind the concept is none other than the CEO of Credit Canada and a friend of Mornings with Sue and Andy, Bruce Celery. Good morning to you, Bruce. Good morning, but it's more like this. Money Management Magic. Oh, okay. Magic. You've got to say it that way. Your debt stress disappear. Well, it's interesting because you've got you've got it down. You're emphasizing the words. Yeah, you've got to sell it. That's fair. Really, have got to sell it. Selling with celery. Well, because it's radio, we can't see if there's anything up your sleeve. So you have to explain it to us. Oh, yeah. How how do you come up with a concept like money management magic? magic? Okay, that's you see, you're trainable. We have been talking about Financial Literacy Month for a decade, and as a journalist, every year I'm like, oh my god, are we going to do more tips about budgeting? Don't make me. And I thought, what would be fun? You know what's fun? Magic is fun. Yeah. So let's talk about Matt. Let's have a little fun. And here's the way the metaphor really plays out. There's no such thing as magic. You know this. Magicians know this. It's all tricks. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as magic when it comes to getting a handle on your money either. It's a whole bunch of tricks. So our focus at Credit Canada this month is to teach people the tricks Mm -hmm. so you can amaze and dazzle your friends with how you eliminated (laughs) your credit card debt. Okay, so uh, help us out. You're not going to give it all away. Way, obviously, because no good magician gives away his tricks. But it. tease us, help us a little bit. Yes. What, where can we start? Here's here's my first uh, magic spell. Write down your debts. Write them all down on a piece of paper or on a spreadsheet, which can be really scary, right? A lot of people don't want to do it because it's scary to see it all in one place. But once you see it, you can start to deal with it. So this is a piece of paper or a spreadsheet. It's got the lender name the amount owing, the interest rate, the minimum payment, and the date. And then you've got the full snapshot. This is what you're dealing with. You may need a bottle of JD like standing by to pull this trick off, but write it all down because then the second thing, the second big trick, and this one I got to say is a lot harder. It's the plan. How are you going to pay it off? And most often people dealing with a crushing debt load spend a good deal of time in fight, flight, or freeze. They are frozen. There is just Mm. nothing that they can do about it. And so writing it down and then starting to have a plan about increasing income or cutting expenses. That's that's when when think that's when the show's getting good. Well, we got we got a really bottom line this, Bruce, because like you say, a lot of people are afraid of it. 
whether they're uh, flighting or, uh, you know, whatever it might be. And it is daunting. So when we define debt, do we put, for example, our mortgage on there or a car payment or are these more like credit cards? It is debt. It's more like credit cards. It's more like high interest debt. So the reality for most people is they're going to carry a mortgage for much of their life. Mm -hmm. And at these rates, the mortgage doesn't cost you very much to carry. So it's not that I, I ignore it. It's just not really what we're talking about. The goal is to eliminate consumer debt, you know, all credit card debt, payday loan debt, line equity, home equity line of credit debt to zero, to zero. That's Mm. the magic, like snap your fingers and get it to zero. And a lot of people just don't think about it in those terms. Like they're like, ah, you know, I I got a couple thousand dollars outstanding on my credit cards. No big deal. Let's get holiday shopping going. (laughs) No, because you are paying somewhere between 15 and 30% interest. And there's so much effort spent on investing returns and how you can hack your whatever. Just eliminate your credit card debt. And magically, that is a, call it a 20% guaranteed return just by taking your credit cards down to zero. Is it legit to even think we can survive without a credit card? Or is it just about knowing how much you're spending on your card and being able to pay it off each month? Yeah, yeah. We have to live in a world in which there is no physical cash. There's just no alternative. Now, some people use their debit card mostly, but credit cards are the way that the world works. And I think having some mastery about how you use it is really the way to go. Using a credit card is another way to convince lenders that you know what you're doing. And that's important for your credit score. Your credit score is important for getting a mortgage. In some cases, it's important for getting a job or renting an apartment because the landlord or the employer is going to pull your credit score and they want to see that you can manage the basics of of money. Bruce, something you alluded to, and I know that we just put a cap on Halloween. We still have to recognize and observe Remembrance Day, but and it might only be in November the third. Uh, is it? The, yeah, it's the third mm-hmm. last time I checked. Yeah. I'm uh, speaking yeah. of numbers. I'm on top of things. <laughs> Not quite Christmas. <laughs> Uh, but now would be the time to think about approaching Christmas and not just, uh, again, stacking it up on the credit card. So what are some tips we can do to to, to keep that in mind? Yeah, so the, the, this is the most boring tip I will ever give you, period, full stop. It's make a holiday shopping list because we tend to overbuy when we're wandering around and we're wandering around the online marketplace. It's even worse because they've got so many ways from a behavioral science standpoint to have us buy more stuff. So make a list and endeavor to to keep to it. And even if you are going to go over and you're going to have to carry a balance on your credit card through January and February, be aware of that and start to think about how you're going to navigate your spending such that if you are carrying a balance, you can pay it off early in the new year and not in June, because that's going to be a real load for you to carry over a long period of time. I would also say... Bonus marks for the people who recalibrate what the holidays really are about. Because for some families, they're not really about the gift giving. So let's just, let's pull that down. Maybe, maybe we stop doing it all together, which I know in some families is a horrifying concept. But in my family, we just don't do it. And it makes life so much easier. Or put a nice low limit. That way you, you have to be creative yeah. or make it about an experience. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a gift you pay for. An experience it doesn't have to we cost used to you do, a penny. We used to do $5 Christmas and one year I did 
soaps of the world. <laughs> so I stole soaps from a hotel. I used to lead tours as a job and I would steal the soaps and then I would wrap them in organza bags and be like, ladies and gentlemen, here is the soap from the Europa Regina in Venice. You're welcome, best president ever. But there are ways to be creative like that and have some fun with it and not break the bank and go completely overboard. Even You know, we love to spoil the people we love, but it's not necessary. It's not necessary. We've also got, you have to check these out. We've got these uh, magicians, these mm -hmm. Instagram famous magicians who are literally doing magic tricks. So they're taking the debt and they're taking the, all the things that you can picture that they would be doing. And they've created ma magic tricks for Credit Canada. They're amazing. John T. Black is one, uh, Ray Zhu, Phil Pivnik. They're all these great magicians doing these really great tricks. So we've got them out on our social media. We're just trying to have a little bit of fun here. Come on. Where do we find? Where do we find that on your Instagram there, Bruce? So on Instagram, uh, I got to tell you, I'm more on Twitter. Okay. At Bruce Celery on Twitter. But okay. Credit Canada everywhere. Credit Canada everywhere. Because the there's searching. people who are younger than I am <laughs> doing proper things on social media. But uh, go to creditcanada.com slash FLM. We are doing virtual events. We're doing some webinars today. We have got 12,485 things happening during Financial Literacy Month because we are bound and determined to help you make your debt stress disappear. Well, and you know what? You got so many great tips. We're going to be checking with you regularly over the month because it's super important. We appreciate your time. Former uh, international soap thief, um, <laughs> yes. money magician. I say thief. I think I paid for it in my room rate. Sure. No, no wait, I didn't pay because it was a job. You're that guy. And uh, CEO of Credit Canada, Bruce Celery, and it's creditcanada.com. So you can certainly uh, check that out. Also on his uh, personal website, moolala.ca. Thank you so much, Bruce. Talk to you next week. You betcha. It's Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada, and he's had his uh, V8 this morning. He sure, he's Celery with an S, by the way, if you're looking <laughs> yes. for him anywhere on social media. As always, right through the pandemic, we have been joined weekly by Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, who's answered all your COVID questions. We keep bringing him back because, Dr. Janney, frankly, we have so many questions that we need to ask of you. So thanks for joining us again today. Good morning. All right, let's start with this one texted in. First thing this morning, this uh, texter says, I'm 76, I'm double vaxxed, I want to get the Pfizer booster, but I've heard they're developing a newer better booster vaccine. So should I wait till that's available or get it now? So I've not seen any information as to when a different kind of booster would be released. I, I, I do know that they have put some into clinical trial, but these are moving targets. The, these were designed against the, the Delta variant or, or a version of the Delta variant. Right now, though, it looks as though the vaccines have great coverage against the variants, and those third shots of the current Pfizer or Moderna are working extremely well. So if you're in those risk groups, NASI has recommended that, that these individuals get a third shot, and I would say that the current one that's offered is offered fantastic protection. Is this a case, though, Dr. Jenny? Because, yeah, the next one is should we be concerned about waning immunity from the vaccines? We're talking about the boosters. Uh, but if we were to get the numbers down low enough and we have that higher percentage of uh, fully vaxxed individuals, is it going to be an issue if it does wane? much less of an issue and you're exactly right if we can get the numbers down in the community the odds of you running into somebody who's infected are very low and at the same time there would be a much less challenge to your immune system so the risk of a breakthrough infection goes down dramatically 
the the current vaccine, even if it's waning, it still seems to be protecting very well against hospitalization. So we do get increased breakthrough infection, but it is still preventing serious disease in the vast majority of people. So we're actively monitoring that. When we do see a, a clear signal of waning immunity, there will be indications for others to get that third shot. But right now, it's holding up pretty good. Uh, I would expect to see a recommendation probably early in 2022 for everybody to consider a third shot. But at this point, uh, so far, so good. You know, I think there there's reason for this worry or fear, but could a fifth wave be around the corner? Unfortunately, I think that is a, a very clear reality. We were very clear that the, the fourth wave was a, a strong possibility with the number of unvaccinated people in the community. And although we've made fantastic progress on vaccination, we believe, at least with the Delta variant, so that's assuming the virus doesn't change anymore, we need about 90% vaccinated for true community-level protection. And, and that's not 90% of eligible, that's 90% of everybody. And currently, with about 10% of the province unable to get a vaccine, it basically means we need near 100% vaccine coverage of everybody else. And we're definitely not there yet, which means if we were to go completely restriction-free, we would expect to see a resurgence in cases again. All right, this one here is interesting. Sort of to that point, you mentioned the Delta variant, and that's maybe the most... uh, common one when it brings the rising case numbers up. Uh, The question is, will COVID ever be a thing of the past or will we continue to see new variants causing a spike in cases as we move months and years from now? Uh, It looks as though it it will be with us now forever and that it will continue to evolve. So we will continue to see new variants, which could drive outbreaks. Um, But again, once the, the whole community has a level of protection, those outbreaks will become disconnected from hospitalization. So we could see infectious outbreaks in the community, but the number of people requiring medical attention will be tiny. And we that's the goal right now, is to get through to that point where everybody has some level of protection. And, and the safest and the easiest way to do that without overburdening the healthcare system is to get those vaccine numbers higher than where they are right now. A text from George, Dr. Janney, if I'm double vaccinated and I run into COVID, can the symptoms last just a day or would it be longer or how does that work it's up to the individual unfortunately that there's no direct way to predict that uh, the, the good news is the vast majority of people double vax run into somebody you'll be protected the the, the majority of people will not even become symptomatic uh, those that do you know it can still go on for several days but the, again, the, the majority of those people who do have a breakthrough infection will not get sick enough to require medical attention. So no hospitalization, no ICU. The, the few we are seeing in the hospital are a tiny, tiny percentage of the vaccinated uh, portion of our community. All right. This is a very specific one for you, Dr. Janney. Uh, what can you tell us about Miss C? My friend Dan has a five-year-old in ICU with his COVID complication. What is it? Yes, so this is a a multiple systemic inflammatory condition. And and what happens is the body in younger people, especially pediatric patients, seems to have an inflammation in and around their blood vessels. So they get swelling and they get this this immune reaction to their own blood vessels or the tissues around them. And it causes things that we heard of earlier in the pandemic, these idea of blue toes and, and, and other 
problems that indicate circulation. But in kids, this can be very severe. And in fact, some of the people in the ICU at the children's hospital are there because of this inflammatory disorder. So this is something we don't talk about often. We often see people referring to, well, kids don't need to be protected. They don't die of COVID. No, but they can get these very severe reactions. And these can be life-threatening as well. So, um, you know, this is all the more reason why we need to protect the kids, get the numbers down, and when vaccines are available, ensure our family members who currently are not vaccinated uh, have that same protection that the rest of us do. On that note, Dr. Janney, CDC panel recommending yesterday Pfizer's COVID vaccine for kids aged 5 to 11, and they may even start giving the vaccination as early as this week. It's not been approved here in Canada. Your thoughts on it, though? Yes, I think this is good news. I mean, this, you know, we, ha- we, we know the CDC and the FDA do a pretty rigorous check, so it, it does suggest the vaccine is good. But that doesn't directly translate to approval in Canada. Our experts are going through this at Health Canada. Uh, I'm just encouraged that if, if both the FDA and the CDC think it's safe, then odds are the Canadian experts will come to the same uh, conclusion. The data has been submitted to Health Canada. It is currently under review. If all goes well, I would expect an answer in the coming weeks for that here in Canada. More on the variants, and this one comes in from Tina. Is Delta still the main variant of concern? Currently it is. So this is the one that is broadly circulating. It is many times more infectious than the original strain, and it seems to cause more severe disease, at least in younger people. So this is the one that is currently occupying the healthcare system, although we are looking for other variants, uh, always screening for them. We have identified a small number of other variants, but those haven't seemed to take off in the community yet. So that's good news. Um, But right now, Delta absolutely is the number one threat to Albertans. Dr. Janney, can you hang on a couple of minutes? Of course. Excellent. We'll bring you back. Dr. Craig Janney, Infectious Disease Specialist, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. Back after commercials. More time with Dr. Craig Janney, Infectious Disease Specialist from the University of Calgary. Thanks again for taking the time with us, Dr. Janney. Um, let's, let's ask you this question, and it's a personal question. I've, I've taken my toddlers both for COVID-19 tests when they've had coughs, and runny noses. However, uh, now they have uh, some stomach bugs and we've seen some vomiting. Is that something we should look for in the kids? Is that any indication or is it point to any of the indications we should get a test if we're feeling physically ill? Yeah, with the younger kids, it is normally now based on Alberta Health, a combination of symptoms. So a single uh, symptom, such as a runny nose or a sore throat, is not enough now in elementary kids to really encourage them to go get tested. So we're looking for a combination of symptoms. So some GI problems, absolutely, if they're coupled with other symptoms. And the best way to do that is Alberta Health has a a really simple to follow checklist. So you you log in or or just go to the website, uh, indicate the age, are you looking for a a, a youth or an adult, and it simply asks a, a series of really basic questions. Is there a new runny nose? Is there a new sore throat? And at the end of that, it actually gives you very clear instructions whether you should go for testing, whether you uh, should self-isolate, or whether th- those are not uh, enough yet to, to really flag you as potentially COVID, and that the kids can, for example, still go to school, even with a single symptom. So uh, really easy to use, really uh, just basic questions. Click on each answer, and then it'll, it'll send you in the right direction and even instructions on how to book a COVID test if necessary. Well, that's helpful because I know that people are starting to see a little symptom popping up here and there. So exactly. Yeah, some it's, good help. Uh, uh, 
to the same end, though. That this is a, another reason why it's critical to get kids their flu shot this year. Mm-hmm. In that, if they get a runny nose or a sore throat, you want to make sure that it's not the flu, and, and that'll not only reduce their their chances of catching anything, reduce the the odds that they're going to be symptomatic one morning and, and have an excuse to stay home and play Nintendo all day. So <laughs> right back out the door. Dr. Jenny, somebody asking about uh, other vaccines when they might be available and approved for use in Canada. They mentioned the Novavax and another mm-hmm. one, Medica Go or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Novavax uh, has been submitted for, for approval. Uh, once again, we'll see just as the Pfizer vaccine for kids, th- this is an independent process and is unrelated to what other countries are doing. So Health Canada is looking at it. Uh, that one in particular is an interesting vaccine because it's more of a conventional vaccine, a, a protein-based vaccine like we use for flu shots. So that may be an important tool for, for anybody out there that might be a little hesitant with the current vaccine. So a, a different platform, a different technology. Um, I think those are good news stories, but we have to wait and see what Health Canada says about them. All right, uh, this one here, um, it's a bit of a crystal ball type mm-hmm. question, Dr. Jenny. Uh, we've, what have we got? Positivity right now at 4.2%. Mm-hmm. Case numbers are down. We're trending in the right direction. Do you know, if you had to wager a guess, how much longer will we have to mask for? So I, I, personally, I think we're going to be masking until we get some substantial rollout of vaccines to, to the younger kids. We do know that they're at lower risk of severe COVID, but not zero risk. We had a question even today earlier about that, about the systemic inflammatory response. But those kids also pass it on, and they can pass it on to long-term care facilities, to at-risk grandparents, to siblings. Um, so, And it's a substantial portion of the population. 10% don't qualify for vaccines yet. So I think we need to get that chunk of Alberta protected, or at least a, a good piece of it protected, if we're going to be able to, to start to move forward. The other piece that's, that's tied directly to it, the daily numbers are looking fantastic, and that really is a credit to everybody following the, the, the rules, getting vaccinated. But our hospital numbers are still extremely high, and we simply have no margin yet to see cases tick up at all. So I think we need these health place, uh, measures in place for at least several more weeks until we have some capacity back in the healthcare system. Uh, our ICU is still floating around the high we had during wave three, despite the fact it's come down by 60 or 70 patients from mm-hmm. the current wave. So we have a long ways to go before the healthcare system has that capacity again. As always, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Thanks for answering our questions. You're welcome both. Take care. Appreciate it. You too. Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. It was a forgotten space. It's now an award-winning park. With all the details, we're joined this morning by Calgary Parks Foundation CEO, Sheila Taylor. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. I drive by it every morning. I just love the light feature you built there. It's a, a first-of-its-kind park in Western Canada, and it really has transformed what was kind of a creepy, dark, scary space into a community destination. So tell us about this park. Flyover Park is located underneath and beside the 4th Avenue flyover, which many of us drive over all the time to get to downtown. It is such a creative park that features hills, slides, family games, beautiful artistic features, and it's all in a very unusual location. You mentioned unusual location. You set the scene being under the flyover. So if people uh, you know, hadn't been down that way or don't travel that way or haven't been passed on foot, what did it look like before, uh, if you could set the scene for us? 
prior to the park development, this was a bit of a dark and a scary place. And we heard from the community of Bridgeland Riverside that they didn't like walking through it. We wanted to see that changed because the location of Flyover Park is really a key place. It's steps from Reconciliation Bridge. It's how you can get to and from downtown. It's really a perfect location, but it was in very poor condition prior to the park being built. So where'd the original idea for this design come from? The idea came from the community and from school children at Riverside School who really wanted this space to be something um, something different. They had events, they had activations, they put little art projects underneath the 4th Avenue flyover, all to inspire a future park development. So let's talk about it from idea to, to what we're seeing today. You know, how many heads did it take to come together and uh, how did that process, uh, you know, evolve, if you will? Flyover Park was five years in the making wow. and it really was inspired by so many efforts from the community, from putting pinwheels underneath the flyover to draw some attention to having art projects and years and years of fundraising. Parks Foundation got involved to help with the design, to help find the funds to make this happen, and then to eventually build it. It was a labor of love for so many in the community. And really, the first park that I'm aware of that was initially designed and inspired by school kids. I love that part about it. And I love this too. I know there are environmental benefits to the park. Explain how that works. There's a lot of runoff that comes from the flyover. There's 20,000 cars that head over that bridge every single day. And so we wanted to ensure that the park dealt with that runoff properly. So we have environmental features like bioswales and rain gardens that are built into the park so that we can ensure all of that water is dealt with properly. What you have is a really gray and concrete space that has been turned into a green and thriving space with local plants, with pollinator plants. Uh, it's really quite a beautiful place that's also so fun and functional for families. Sheila, I'm wondering, is this the kind of first of its kind in the city or can we look at other examples of forgotten spaces that have been spruced up or are there others in the works that the Calgarians you know, might want to know about? of a reclaimed space like this on the scale of Flyover Park is definitely a first for Calgary. And it's pretty uncommon still in Alberta, but it is a trend that is taking place all over the world, probably most famously in New York with the High Line. The High Line turned an old rail line into one of New York's most popular destinations. So we're seeing this trend of taking you know, just unloved, really urban spaces and turning them into beautiful destinations. It's happening in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, all over the world. Let's remind people of what exactly is there, Sheila. I mean, it's, you know, you mentioned that tiered seating, there's play features, but what exactly do people find when they go there? Well, Flyover Park is a really unusual spot. There are massive hill slides that are a lot of fun. You can run up the hill and then slide down these huge slides. You won't see anything like it in Calgary. There are lots of play features. We have a ping pong table. We have ladder toss, uh, bocce. So you have your some really interesting playground features, but you also have fun family games. And so we see young kids there, but we all see people on dates. We see people in the evenings. A lot of people come down, too, just for the art, because there are gorgeous murals that were painted last summer. And, of course, this very unique light feature, which looks like a tree uh, filled with lollipops, really. <laughs> so there's sort of something for everyone. 
a lot of people are coming down just to take photos and then finding themselves staying to enjoy some of the really fun things you can do there. Good stuff and a real success story of feather in the cap for the city. Thanks for your time and sharing the story with us, Sheila. Thank you very much. That is Sheila Taylor, Calgary Parks Foundation CEO. The top seven over 70 recognizes Calgary and area individuals who have been achieving remarkable success in a wide variety of pursuits uh, after the age of 70. Joining us this morning is the chair of the top seven over 70, Kim McConnell. Good morning to you, Kim. Good morning. Uh, give us an idea of how long this uh, this uh, project has been going on for and, and recognizing those folks over 70 uh, and their achievements. Well, we started out in uh, 2017. This was an idea of Jim Gray's that we should be recognizing individuals who are doing amazing things after the age of 70. We have other programs that recognize younger people, et cetera, and business people or wherever it may be. But this is a program that, uh, that we, we started in 2017. We did it every, uh, every second year. It's biennial, so 2019, and we're doing it again in 2021. And today we are announcing who our top, or 2021 top seven over 70 uh, individuals are. It's an exciting day, Andy. It is a big announcement. We know Kim doesn't come till a little bit later this morning, but can you kind of give us a little tease of, of the, the quality of these folks and the things that they're doing in our communities? Oh, sure. This is, uh, it's amazing. We have, uh, we're going to recognize a 90-year-old uh, powerhouse business person who's changing the face of professional sport in our city. We have a 83-year-old entrepreneur who privately supports um, new Canadians when uh, with mortgages and, and bank loans when the banks say no. We have a 73-year-old residential school survivor and spiritual elder who is now sharing his teachings with thousands and thousands of people. We have an 86-year-old self-made man who is donating absolutely tens of millions of dollars to local educational, cultural, and environmental initiatives. We have a 77-year-old uh, who has launched a myriad of theoretic, uh, the, um, uh, um, theater initiatives, including a, a brand-new rock musical. We have a 74-year-old scientist who has written a best-selling book and researched on new pathways for treating mental health. And our final one is an 82-year-old businessman philanthropist who has really forever changed the way that we honor war veterans in Cal Calgary. So wow. we have seven amazing people that just uh, that truly deserve to be recognized. Kim, why is the Top 7 Over 70 program vital? Why is it important? Well, I think it's important for, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, first off... Um, we're getting as, as, as we're getting older, and there will soon be uh, 10 million uh, people by uh, 2036. And just because we're getting older and we're living longer, there are people that are really are seniors are contributing more and more to our communities and and the whole works. And this program encourages that uh, and and recognizes these individuals. And, and says to says to to everybody, hey, just because we've got a few years on us doesn't mean we need to stop. There's lots of great things that we can be done, and it's an inspiration not only to other seniors. It's an inspiration to Calgarians at large, Canadians at large. Mm -hmm. That hey, we can truly 
continue to contribute and make this a wonderful place to live. Sometimes retiring gives you time to do all the stuff, the great things that you've been waiting to do for your entire life. And we're seeing that in this group for sure. Tell us about the top seven over 70 organization, because this is a real group that does great things in the community. Well, it's a it's a volunteer driven group. Uh, we have uh, uh, it started as I mentioned in 2017 with Jim Gray uh, putting a few few of us around the table, and we got that going. Uh, but in typical Calgary style, a whole bunch of others got involved. So we have an executive committee that sort of shepherds the the direction of the program. We have a sponsorship group and a and an ambassador group that goes out and 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 creates the the money that we could that we we need so that we can run this program but but more importantly some of the things that we can do um do to advance the community after that uh these we have volunteers that that encourage nominations we have there's there's over 100 people now that are that are involved in some part of advancing this program and advancing seniors uh, seniors in our community kim thank you so much for your time this morning we appreciate it thank you very much and Stay tuned for the excitement of uh, these amazing people that will be announced a little later this morning. Yes, that announcement coming up just a little over an hour from now at 10 a.m. Thank you so much. That's Kim McConnell, Top 7 Over 70 Chair. And you can find them online at Top 7, the number 7, over 70, the number 70.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.